Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you are in a place where you are really experiencing your harmony within your harmony with others, and your harmony with nature, then you begin to get more of a sense of, of the taste of planetary era culture. You know, start with ourselves, but don't stop with yourself. Don't see it as, I'm going to heal myself in this little bubble and the world can go to hell. It, no. <laughs> the more you heal, the more the world around you can benefit from that and you can contribute to that. Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast with me, your host, Poppy Jamie, the founder of award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. This show is about giving you a pause to nurture and nourish your mind, body, and soul. Each week, I speak to world experts, authors, scientists, and inspirational leaders to share their wisdom and advice so we can all live better from the inside out and reach our full potential. I hope you join me on the journey. Hello, everyone. And this week, my guest is Dr. Robert Gilman, and he is truly fascinating. He's an astrophysicist, but early in his life realized the stars could wait, and actually the real need for care and attention was here on Earth. He has studied the changes in culture for over 40 years. In this time, he founded the Context Institute and the Bright Future Now course. I actually discovered Dr. Gilman on Instagram after reading a quote someone had uploaded of him and felt I had to track this guy down and speak further with him. He believes we are in a process of mass cultural change as we're transitioning eras and this could serve as an explanation for why things feel completely crazy at times. I'm sure you'd agree we've all gone through an unprecedented year. His outlook is fascinating. It makes sense and also sheds light on where humanity is evolving to. So yes, pretty big themes for this week, but I hope you enjoy listening to Dr. Gilman and his thoughts on how we create a sustainable future and what that really means. Enjoy.
What is a quote you return to often? I think one of the, the quotes for me is, is um, Buckminster Fuller talking about the way that the only way to change things is to make them obsolete. And I think that that gets to the core of the way that cultural change doesn't happen by pushing against what you don't like. Cultural change happens by being able to create a new way to accomplish what the old thing used to do, but accomplish it better. And that probably feeds into my second question, which is what's a life lesson you've been reminded recently? Because I feel like that quote, I mean, sums up every life lesson. Right. Well, something that, that keeps coming up to me all the time is, is the degree to which I carry all kinds of subtle traumas. I suspect I'm not the only one. Uh, and when I look at the realization that, oh, here it comes again, when I look at it as an opportunity, then there's a whole different quality to my life uh, because I don't, I'm not afraid of those triggers coming back up. I, in fact, can embrace them and learn from them and in the process, reduce my trauma load. I mean, such a relevant life lesson. I actually was just talking about this exact point with my mother before this mm -hmm. podcast. And, and I just think actually just acknowledging how, you know, the days can be filled with these micro traumas, because I think mm -hmm. often we are shocked when we're stressed out or we're shocked when we kind of come up to a little hurdle. And because we don't expect it, it can kind of raise our stress levels disproportionately to the, the stress put. But that is feels like such a lovely tool to kind of have as a practice to turn these challenges into, okay, what's the opportunity here? Right. Is there anything that's helped you develop that kind of shift from being kind of pushed back by trauma than I suppose this approach, which is stepping into a mini trauma of some description? There, there's a, a bit of a constellation of things that in one way or another tie into the, the really wonderful work that's been done on trauma healing in the last few decades and the, the realizations around that. Just the, the realization that we carry these and if we're willing to turn toward, be with, listen with empathy internally, listen to the parts of us that are hurting, listen to that bruised inner child, but then don't act in reaction. Get to the place where you are centered again in the terminology that I use. Uh, get to the place where you're, you're in your optimal zone before you act. And so that sequence of being willing to turn towards is the first really crucial step. But then not just getting caught into a reaction loop. What are some tools that you use to be back into an optimal state? One of the wonderful things about what's happening in neuroscience is that it, it turns out that it's actually pretty simple. We have a threat detection system that has been evolving for hundreds of millions of years, you know, long before humans were here, um, that the amygdala, the limbic system, all of that stuff, that threat detection system is balanced off with other systems that ties into the lungs and the face. So it turns out that breathing <laughs> and smiling 
um, you know, things that we just naturally do can be used as a way of sending messages to the body that it's okay. See, one of the things that's happened for us as humans, now that we have this fabulous capacity for imagination, is that we've repurposed our threat detection system and we're no longer using it in the way it was designed. It was designed to be able to deal with very immediate physical threats. Short-term, you know, split second, you gotta act right away. We now see threats in what we imagine. We see threats in what could happen. We see threats in et cetera. So we have this overly activated sympathetic nervous system, amygdala, et cetera. But we can train ourselves to calm it down. And you do that by first of all, saying to yourself, because it's important that your mind understands this, to say to yourself, in this moment, I am physically safe. I love that because it reminds us that we're not in caveman times. It reminds us that we are in 2020 or 2021 or whatever year we're in. Exactly. Um, and, and then you can do some things. They're fairly simple, you know, even just three deep breaths, changes the physiology, changes the what's happening with the nervous system. So the combination of speaking to your mind and speaking to your body in that way can help you to move back into your optimal zone. One of the things that our culture doesn't really quite recognize, but is neurologically true, is that we are the most use to ourselves and to the world when we are centered, when we are in our optimal zone, when we are not in a threat detection alarm state. I love it. It's such beautiful, brilliant points we can all start doing straight away. So thank you for those tools regarding your life lesson. How do you define happiness? So for me, happiness, well, I'll put it this way. I have a background as an astrophysicist. That was the first part of my life. Um, I haven't been doing it for 40 years, but it was still influential. And as I look around the universe and its big patterns, what I see as two really strong themes are connection and differentiation. And for me, those translate for humans into love and creativity. So I would define happiness First of all, as a, as a place where you, in your interior, you feel safe. It's not a question of what's happening around you, but that in the inside of you, you, you have that sense of safety. And then you are in a place where the love and the creativity can flow through you. And as you're doing that, it just happiness comes as a, as a byproduct. This kind of links really to the shift in eras potentially, mm -hmm. right? Your work on eras and our kind of change and culture is really what drew me to your work and made me want to track you down to interview you because it is truly fascinating. I would love for you to start simply. What do you mean by we are in this kind of era transition from empire to planetary? What does that mean? Let's start there. So when I look at human history, I look at it not in terms of events or people or that sort of thing. I'm much more interested in, in the larger patterns of culture. And for me, I look at culture as an evolving living system. And in that way, it's got parallels to, to ecosystems. 
And if you look back 20,000 years, 30,000 years, humanity had this really long stretch of time. We were hunters and gatherers. So about 11,000, 13,000 years ago, something of that sort, there were people in the Middle East who decided that they wanted to spend focus more of their energy on the gathering part. And they actually started gardening and that led into farming. And that actually created this whole unstable transition where uh, populations grew and the, the way of life changed. Uh, settlement happened. People weren't settled before that. And as settlements grew, all sorts of changes grew up with that. And eventually it led to cities, writing, the military bureaucracy, and to what became a new stable pattern. And so I like to call that first hunting and gathering time the tribal era. And then this next time that starts about 5,000 years ago, I call the empire era because it's really characterized by these agricultural empires. And then starting in the Renaissance in Europe, started another unstable transition that we're still in. We still have a fair bit of the inheritance of the dominator structures for social organization, but those are shifting. Or it's no longer actually the smart way to do things. In the agrarian empires, in the agricultural empires, whether you liked it or not, it was the way that worked. We couldn't have done what, what's possible now, but we're moving into a time when the smart way to do things is actually to be a harmonizer rather than a dominator. You know, that may sound nice and warm and fuzzy, and it is all those things, but there's more to it than that. What makes that work is that we're now so interconnected that you've got to be able to deal with harmonizing the various different poles. You can't put people into tight hierarchies anymore because the hierarchies are leaky. People have too many ways out. And if you try to do dominance hierarchies now and people walk away, uh, people who can walk away, you have to be an attractor rather than a dominator. And, and to do that, you've got to be a, a harmonizer. So we're moving towards a time when the smart way to success is to, as I like to describe it, embody the harmony within, the harmony with others, and the harmony with nature. Do all three of those simultaneously. Do them for yourself. Do them in the close-in groups that you're part of, and do them for the culture. So before we dive into harmonies, how do you explain the current upheaval we're all going through? Because mm -hmm. obviously, you know, from what you've said, we've almost spent a hundred years, I guess, like transitioning from empire into planetary. Would you say the industrial revolution then is part of the empire? That was, that's. It's part of the transition. We've, we've been spending more like 500 years. And so the rise of the natural sciences, the, um, the religious wars, the, the Reformation, all of that stuff was part of breaking up the old patterns. And then the Age of Enlightenment came along, and we're really now an Age of Enlightenment culture. We're not an empire culture. In a living system, when some parts of the system change and are, and are able to keep changing, other parts of the system need to catch up or at least adjust. So in the last few hundred years, especially the last 200 years, we have gone through 
amazing changes as a human species that now both, you know, certainly in terms of technology, but also in terms of human, human quality of life for the average human. Um, and one of the best indicators of this is, is life expectancy. And all the way back into the tribal era, life expectancy was about 40 years, you know, and it was flat, it was stable. And in just the last 200 years, we've doubled that. In about 200 years ago, something on the order of 90% of the world's population was one bad harvest away from starvation was in what's described as extreme poverty. Uh, at the moment, it's down to like 10%. That is huge. So is it very exciting then, in a way, to have this accelerated evolution into the planetary era? I mean, you've been obviously studying this for 40 years. Are you really noticing an acceleration or actually does this feel muchness to a muchness compared to other decades? No, this feels like an acceleration. In the decade of the 2020s, uh, I think we're going to reach a number of significant tipping points. The, the first tipping points will be tipping points of perception. And so one of those tipping points is that we'll really get it, that the dominator approach is, it just doesn't work terribly well. I mean, I think it's beautiful now that people are noticing that the countries that did best with COVID tend to be led by women. And, and women, because they were not in the primary dominator position, had to learn earlier about how to be harmonizers. And I, I say this as a man, guys, you can learn to be a harmonizer just as well. It's not in the genes, it's in the cultural heritage, but it's, it's coming. I mean, I just have so many questions and so many thoughts. So yeah. my first thought is they say the bullied becomes the bully. And, you know, to break mm -hmm. behavior, and I'll use a personal example, you know, when, for example, I started my working life, I had, you know, dominating bosses, right, mm -hmm. who would talk to you in really clipped, really short, really undermining ways. And then when you're stressed, I can send a short email or I can. And suddenly you're aware that actually that wasn't the most harmonizing approach to handle that situation. It goes back to your first point of get yourself an optimal situation. Now that is a tiny, tiny example of like me acknowledging that my behavior isn't always harmonizing or the best that I can do. But this on a major scale, if we are all um, vulnerable to behaving in a way that we've been treated is obviously a threat to us moving into this planetary era. So what are some tools that you um, think are most helpful that we can all start really focusing on to ensure that we are helping culture evolve? So this is not meant to be a plug. But please, please do. No, we want to hear about your course. Go for it. <laughs> right. So I, I want to describe what we do in the first three weeks. The, the first week is what we call self-awareness and self-compassion. And we begin there. Um, because embracing yourself with compassion and, and all of your inner complexity with compassion is for us the starting point. And we actually start off somatically. We start, there's a Taoist meditation called the inner smile, where we have people focus in on some organ in their body and just smile to it. And we use that then as a touchstone to be able to move along and find ways to, we, we open people up to a sense of their inner multiplicity. 
and working on the harmony within. That's where we start. And then the second week is something we call objects, categories, territories, and maps. Uh, And it has to do with the way that most of our thinking is very heavily focused on categories without nuance. Language is essentially labels on categories. So the whole empire era with its focus on language among the elite was pretty strong in terms of categorical thinking. What do you mean by categorical thinking? Sorry to interrupt. Good question. So, I mean, one of the ways that you see it in gross terms is in stereotypes. If you look at another person and put them in a category based on their age, their gender, their skin color, and then presume that you know what you need to know about them because you've put them as an instance of that category, then you are, first of all, you're missing a wonderful opportunity with this unique being in front of you, um, but you're also dehumanizing them. Categorical thinking isn't universally bad. That would be too categorical to make it bad. Uh, There are times when it's really helpful. So you don't wanna have to examine every grain of rice as you are in the process of cooking it. So it's great that you can say, oh, rice. There are a huge number of really practical categorical rules but most of the, of the big issues that confront us these days are places where we're stuck in too low resolution categorical thinking. Ooh, fascinating. That needs to be replaced from my categorical point of view with uh, design thinking, where, where you begin by saying, hmm, here's a situation that maybe could be improved. How do we bring our various perspectives to that? How do we learn through it? How do we come up with a better map, knowing that that map is not going to be the end all and be all. And then the third week is what we call child development and adult character. And here we make use of actually a tradition that got started with Wilhelm Reich, who was one of Freud's students, of looking at essentially five developmental stages that people need to go through and the ways that those typically don't complete and wind up leaving people with defense patterns that guard against the traumatization, the, the common traumatizations that, that we've had. And so getting that, that vocabulary of those five different patterns and seeing them in yourself, compassionately seeing them in yourself, begins the process of, of your own detraumatization and, and your ability to see these things in others in a compassionate way instead of a judging way or, a, or an instructional way. Can you give us an example of one of the um, kind of childhood patterns that if it isn't resolved, you know, we may spot on ourselves or others? Well, I could probably give you a quick run through of all five. Oh, so the, the first one is what we call the leaving pattern. And that happens when the child comes into an unsafe environment for whatever reason and isn't really able to fully incarnate. And so is always a little bit out of the body. <laughs> We like to stress that this is not you. This is just one of your subpersonalities, one of the patterns that can happen in you. So there are times when people will feel like the solution to the situation, they're in a dangerous situation and the solution is simply to leave. Now, sometimes that's wise, but often it's, it's a matter of they're being triggered back into that experience of this is unsafe, I gotta get out of here. The second pattern is what we call the pulling pattern. And it 
is that the sort of archetypal way that it happens is you have an infant who's hungry, who doesn't get fed. And maybe they get fed 20 minutes later, but that 20 minutes is an eternity for that infant. And as we grow up, we need to be able to learn how to uh, assimilate, digest what's available, broaden our point of view so that we can see more of the resources that are actually around us instead of being so narrowly fixated on one particular direction. The third one is what we call the, the enduring pattern, which is what happens when the child is at that stage of, I wanna do it myself. And they're stepping into their agency. And if the parent suppresses that agency by uh, overly criticizing it or smothering it, or, or whenever the child does something creative that the parent kind of grabs it away, the child doesn't get a chance to really learn and get some confidence in their own creative ability. So they wind up in this place where they, as, as adults, they're in this mixture of compliance and rage. And almost everybody has this to some extent, that, that you, you want the authority figure to tell you what to do because you aren't confident that you, in your own creative ability, and at the same time, you're, you're enraged by <laughs> all of that. The fourth is what's uh, called the controlling style. And this grows out of betrayal. It's when someone experiences betrayal and decides they have to do it themselves. They have to, try, they have to rely on themselves. There's nobody else they can trust. It's a breakdown of trust. And the, the healing for controlling styles is actually to learn, to relearn trust. And then the fifth type is what we call the performing style. And that's a matter of feeling like you've got to do it the right way and you have a sense of what the right way, this is connected very much with perfectionism. And the healing um, strategy for the controlling type, what you're trying to learn is how to trust yourself. And so uh, part of the healing strategy is to, is back to those maps and territories, is to be able to see that there isn't only one right way and to listen to yourself, be willing to experiment and iterate in various ways. So th I hope that gives you a feel. I mean, so interesting. And as and to everyone listening, this is just a little snippet of what this course contains and dives into everything we've we've discussed up until now, even further. Mm -hmm. I loved what you were saying about how the you know age of enlightenment kind of prioritize science so much so that kind of any sort of kind of spirituality or something that lacked evidence would then be completely null and void right and in a way that i think has affected people having faith to mm -hmm. some extent you have a really interesting background because obviously being an astrophysicist how do you balance having this kind of spirituality you know and also being scientist it's easy. I'm an empiricist. I'm into experience. Uh, you know, for me, experience trumps theory. And it, what we today call science is age of enlightenment science. Um, other cultures had other forms of science that tended to focus less on trying to find universals. Age of enlightenment science is focused on trying to find universals. It's one of the one size fits all. One of, one of the reasons that while there've been some great stuff that's happened with age of enlightenment medicine, there are a lot of places where it just doesn't work because each one of us is different. 
And so uh, if you look at Chinese medicine, Ayurveda from India, those are pattern language sciences. What you do is you accumulate a number of patterns and then you apply them in the specific instance. So it's much more context aware. What is your vision for the planetary era? What can we look forward to, I guess? Like, can you describe to us like what life is like in your eyes in the next, I don't know, 40 years, would you say? Well, for one thing, for these big eras, it's not like there's a date when it happens. <laughs> right. And, and one of the reasons we call the course Bright Future Now is that in many ways, those of us who who've gone through the course and who are then in the Bright Future Network, everyone who graduates from the course becomes part of this community, this network that's growing. We're in 29 countries at this point. But I would go back to the three harmonies as the core of it. So it's a matter of when you are in a place where you are really experiencing your harmony within, your harmony with others, and your harmony with nature, then you begin to get more of a sense of, of the taste of planetary era culture. You know, start with ourselves, but don't stop with yourself. Don't see it as I'm going to heal myself in this little bubble and the world can go to hell. No, <laughs> the more you heal, the more the world around you can benefit from that and you can contribute to that. It all really kind of, I just think your work is so inspiring because I really do see the baby steps of so many more of us taking the steps to mm -hmm. have harmony within ourselves. And of course, you can't pour for an empty cup. So people are more filled up and then they can kind of give to others, whether that be their family, their local communities, their workplace. And very much what we're trying to do with Bright Future Now uh, and and the Bright Future Network, the Bright Future Network especially is this, trying to be this living laboratory for building planetary era cultural DNA. And we build it with ourselves and we, we build it with our relationships with each other. We build it, to, I mean, we have an organization to run. So in the planetary era, stuff has to get done. <laughs> you know, it's not like those things go away. Um, we just need to find the ways to do that that are based on the harmony within, the harmony with others, and the harmony with nature. Gosh, honestly, such a healing interview, but I would love for people to know where's the best place for people to find you for questions, for to know more about the course, to know about uh -huh. your, more about your work. So I'll give you a pretty simple URL, context, C-O-N-T-E-X-T dot org. That's the place, and from there, the rest can happen. Thank you for listening. It would be a huge support if you wouldn't mind rating, subscribing and sharing this podcast. I also would love to hear from you. So please find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram, DM me and I would love to hear your thoughts on any of the topics that we discuss. Download Happy Not Perfect, my app that's designed to boost your mood and help you sleep and give you mindfulness in less than five minutes. It's packed full of science-backed tools and rituals to give your mind the care it needs. Sending lots of love and energy. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 